0: Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape and Beer, with support from the North Face, Never Stop Exploring. Doctor Squatch, get dirty, stay clean. Chorus, Explore Perfection, an element, restoring health through hydration.
1: All right, Alex, break it down. How strong is Ravioli Biceps? That kind of sounds like um. Chuck Norris joke when you say it like that. The problem is all the Chuck Norris
0: jokes are like, <laughs> Chuck Norris's tears cure cancer. Too bad he's never cried. <laughs> you know, things, and things like that, but they aren't, they aren't quite... Uh, <laughs> so what you're saying, though, is that Ravioli biceps is basically... The Chuck Norris of climbing? Yeah, th- I think so. Like, there is no chin behind Chuck Norris's beard. There is only another fist. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, uh, yeah, what do we want to know about Ravioli? (laughs) Ravioli Biceps is the man. He's amazing. He's super nice, super humble, super chill and so strong. And in a way that it's hard to even tell how strong he is because when you watch him, it looks so easy. I mean, particularly when you watch him on the board, it looks trivially easy. And in, in a way that kind of gives you hope where you're like, oh, I could do that. Like, that looks so chill. And then you try to touch the holes and you're like, you know what? I can't do that. There's no way I'm ever going to do that. It's totally insane. It's it's incredible. It's weird because he's so mellow and he's so nice. And you're like, oh yeah, I want to have a nice session with Ravioli. And, and he often texts like, oh, I'm going to the gym. You want to have a session? I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. But then I'm like, wait, I can't do any of the things that you're doing. Maybe that's because
1: Ravioli or Mr. Biceps is one of the strongest climbers in the world. And in the very niche of the hardcore board climbing scene, he is the crown prince. Today we are taking a journey through the world of the moon board, an underground climbing trend that started in the cellars of Sheffield, England, and that's now spread across the world. Whether it's at a high-end gym or your buddy's garage, training boards have almost become their own unique climbing discipline. We talk with ravioli biceps and go back to the beginning with the king himself, Ben Moon. And we take a little detour to the world's most remote moon board. Board games. Everyone can play. Everyone can contribute. Everyone connected by the love of climbing. I'm Alex Honnold. I'm Hall. This is Climbing Gold.
2: ravioli biceps that's my handle Um, that's what i go by and it is influenced and inspired by ghost faces like non sequiturs uh, specifically from supreme clientele record off of the track one he doesn't actually say ravioli biceps ever to my knowledge but um, he does a ravioli reference there and he's always doing things like galaxy knuckles or things like that so that's what the inspiration was from you know some like i'll see people coming up with like insert pasta and like muscle group so it'll be like rigatoni quads or you know ravioli triceps or something like that yeah so it's kind of like taken on its own legs which has been pretty fun to see taking on its own pasta
0: but, yeah uh, so so how long
2: have you been climbing on the board so i started climbing on the board i broke my foot in august of 2017 and then uh jim here in vegas had just gotten a moon board when i was getting back like out of a boot into like a tennis shoe and started climbing on the board um with like a tennis shoe and just keeping like one foot off and then when i was like back in two climbing shoes i was just all about it and i really enjoyed right away i enjoyed the game i enjoyed like the completionist aspect and digging in with movement and difficulty and started to see how important it was to the community all over the world and I wanted to contribute. And yeah, I just couldn't get enough right away.
1: So if this is all Greek to you, here's the quick rundown. A training board, the moon board is the most popular, but there are a slew of competitors like Kilter, Lattice, Grasshopper, Tension. They're each a variation on a theme. An eight by 10 foot wall of holds in a grid. Originally problems were shared like in numbers and letters, almost like on a grid. Think like the old board game Battleship, each hold marked with a letter or a number. Today it runs through an iPhone or an iPad attached to it. There's glittering lights, tiny holds, adjustable angles, and an endless amount of problems. You choose a problem from the app on your phone and then you get to see how you stack up against all the other accounts out there. For a lot of the people who use it though, the MoonBoard isn't just a training wall. It's a strange, modern take on community. And no one, when you think about it like that, is better at using it than Ravioli biceps. You know,
0: what is the equivalent on the moon board of, you know, you sending realization or something? Or like, you know, the, the big, like, what, what's your big board moment? Oh, like, yeah. Or what what's your dawn wall on the moon board? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, like, so real quick, I remember,
1: uh, I remember Jonathan, and I like this, I think it was right after he did Jumbo Love. Ravioli is talking about Jonathan Segrist, who, incidentally, will be joining us on next week's show. We were training on the
2: board. He was like, you know, this thing helped me a lot. And I kind of laughed because I was like, wait, really? <laughs> like he's like no no it was it was it was good it helped me like it's like a bunch of moonboards in a row and i was like oh i never thought about that but it would help you on such a long intense sport climb but um yeah there are huge moments for me project two set by uh uh, Alex Migos and then, um, black beach <laughs> is called project two. I know it's like, <laughs> it's like such a throwaway name for him. But for me, it like took like a year and a half and like, you know, hundreds of tries and, you know, it was like so specific and really rewarding, obviously when you do it and satisfying and then black beauty, a uh, Daniel woods, both huge, um, uh, you know, amazing boulders. There's a, there's actually a, a, a kind of a similar uh v10 boulder by hoseok lee um mad about you on the 2016 set which is kind of like it leads into black beauty it has like a similar move like difficult power move off that i9 that black i9 undercling on the 2016 set so that was a big moment as well when i realized that i could do a powerful move off that undercling because i think like it's something like one in ten boulders benchmarks over v9 on the 2016 set have that i9 undercling so once I felt like pretty like I was able to like really master that hold, I was like, "Oh, cool. This is a big breakthrough. I think I can do black beauty. I think I can reach this um it's like the I think it's like the E14 uh vertical like black pinch." And so when I was finally like sticking that, touching it, actually engaging it, um huge moment. So and I mean, you can kind of see like some of these breakthroughs are like just mo- just getting the moves. It's not the send. It's like, oh, I can pull off of this undercling. You know, this is like a huge moment. And
0: I-, I think those are really satisfying moments on the board. Is Have you always been motivated by that level of progress or is that something that you found through time on the board? So
2: I've always been interested in movement, in pushing to see like what type of movement or what I can what I can accomplish, difficulty-wise, or you know, really digging into like, oh, my pinky needs to be here, or I, I like the I like the minutia of it, but it's something that gets amplified once you know I'm on the board and you know I'm maybe talking or sending messages to other people who have done a climb or set a climb that I can't do or you know I want to try, and all all of this like all of this additional communication that I feed off of, you know, if I'm messaging like Ben Burkhalter about where, where exactly he put his like right foot when he did project two, oh, it was like at the crease of the kickboard where the kickboard meets the 40. And he's like, yeah, I had to like wear this special shoe. And it's just like, that stuff is really fun to me and, and interesting. Or, you know, oh, I had to like, I made sure that I like brush the hold really well, or like use like Rubbing alcohol to like get all the grease and like whatever off, you know, or like you know use the fresh hold for this move. So that stuff has been really fun to me.
1: Do you think the? I mean, this, uh, I feel like it's a slightly chicken chicken or an egg situation, but do you think that the the boards are are propelling a, a surge in standards right now? I don't know. I, I don't know if I would say that that boards are
0: propelling a surge in standards. I think that, that board climbing goes hand in hand with this rising standard in climbing. You know, it is a little chicken in the egg. It's
1: hard to say which, which necessarily comes first. Do you think that there is a version of the future where there is somebody who is like a full professional climber that is just on one of these boards? There's something about it that reminds me of like Twitch. Do you know what Twitch is? Yeah. Yeah. Gaming yeah. platform. What, yeah. Like- you watch or you could like watch people play games. Like there's a side of it. That has that element to it. Yeah, I actually think that Ravioli Biceps
0: is a good example of, of the first step in this because mm-hmm. Ravioli Biceps is, for all intents and purposes, a pro climber. Though, I mean, he's, he's a well respected adult with a real job and a real career. And so, you know, like he's not a professional climber because he, he chooses not to be, but he essentially could be because he's a super well known climber at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and that's strictly from him making videos of him climbing on the board as a passion project for himself. You know i mean that that's like the very definition of of you know being an influencer or twitching or any of those kinds of things so he basically was documenting his own process on the board people love the material people love his problems and he's really embraced the boarding community and now he's like a full-on climbing icon so i want to get more people involved
2: uh, i want to include and explain and demystify the board because i think it can feel like a different language when you, or just like a, a an alien object when you walk in and see it. You know, I see people walk by it and they're like, "Oh, I don't know what this is." With the lights and how's it work? That's kind of been, you know, getting people involved, getting some buy-in, and getting people to like contribute to set on it has
0: been my focus in the last couple of years. It's funny to hear you say demystifying the board, though, because I would think that the board is one of the most simple training tools out there. And the mystery isn't so much as how the board works, but how you can hold on to the little holds. You know what I mean? It's like, like, there's no mystery. You just have to have freakishly strong fingers and like really hang on tight. It's like, you know, I mean, like, I think learning how the board works takes, you know, a minute where you're like, oh, the holds light up and then you grab them. The crux is actually holding
2: the holds. (laughs) Yeah, true. You know, maybe it's a little bit like, it's like Like, Tetris because you can learn how to play Tetris in like, you know, a minute or two, but like mastering it takes forever. You know, You, you could spend so much time on really working it out (laughs) and actually i'm not i won't name names but like i was talking to someone here in in vegas and uh you know they climb on the board all the time so i was like oh cool do you have any sets like anything that you've said they climb on the board all the time like no i haven't said anything i'm like well that's got to (laughs) change like you're on it all the time you know it really well like we need you to contribute, you know? And then he ended up sending something. I was like, it's really good. Like keep going. It's, it's kind of different. Everyone brings something different. I mean, at least on the 2019 set, there's like a third of the total problems. So on the 2019 set, there's 20,000 currently while we're recording like problems set by the community. And there's 352 of those are benchmarks versus on 2016, there's 60,000 problems. So what I've been pushing since I've been spending more time on the 2019 set is for people, uh, you know, more people to contribute, because I think there's this, and I don't think it's wrong, but there's this notion that 2019 is like significantly more sandbagged. And I think it's just because there's less problems and less setters. So if you aren't like kind of fitting in with these setters because every setter has a style obviously you know and a, a height and what they like to climb maybe they're training for something like you know Aaron and Kim DeWolf I think they're German they're identical twins they both climb like AB
0: amazing yeah I don't I don't <laughs> like those guys I can't do any of their
2: problems yeah I'm like screw those guys <laughs> yeah and they're and they're so they they like have a monopoly on like the tough benchmarks like 7c and up They're they're, Mm -hmm. they have a ton of of benchmarks you know nick wedge sets a ton um you know kyle knapp has said a ton and you know yeah kyle knapp he sets the ones i can actually do i like that guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's he's great like you know hosix said a lot um it's and these are i'm just specifically thinking uh 2019 but there's you know uh, i think like the more people the more like body types or abilities that Contribute and set. It's 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 only it's only gonna improve everyone's experience. People say it's sandbag. It's like hard or whatever. So I try to like set things according to that. And I remember I set one thing, and uh, Ben left a comment and was like, like good movement, but I think it's a bit hard for this. And I was like, no way, <laughs> it's, it's an upgrade. What?
0: <laughs> when, when Ben Moon calls it sandbagged, you're like, oh, winner. <laughs>
3: My name is Ben Moon, and I invented the Moon Board.
0: We'll be back with more after the break. I've been a North Face athlete for almost 18 years, which has been incredible. And I've always appreciated their commitment to exploration. Summit Series is the name of the pinnacle North Face products that I use on every expedition. And I love that their tagline is athlete tested and expedition proven. I've personally tested these products all over the world and they've always proven themselves. Future Fleece is the next generation base layer that I wear almost every day of climbing outside, whether on the wall or at the crag. You can shop the full Summit Series collection at thenorthface.com. I first found Corus when I was looking for a GPS watch that could track my biggest outdoor adventures. I needed something with a massive battery life that was also robust enough to handle the climbing. As it turns out, Coros is the only GPS watch brand that has done some serious development for climbers, from multi-bitch GPS tracking to indoor programmed workouts. The watches have a mind-blowing battery life. The Vertex watch series lasts for more than 100 hours in GPS activities, so I only need to charge it once every several weeks. I only need to charge my watch so sporadically that I can never find the charger, because I haven't used it in six weeks. <laughs> if you're interested in bringing new technology into your climbing training and tracking, you should consider their new Vertex 2S. Go to chorus.com and use the code CLIMBINGGOLD to secure a free watch carabiner with the purchase of your new Vertex 2S. Ben Moon is legendary professional climber who's been on the scene forever. And it's hard to even give his greatest hits because there's so many random things. I mean, I guess maybe most notably, he put up the route Hubble, which is perhaps the first 14C in the world. But basically, he was establishing some of the hardest routes in the world in his time. But actually I think the best way to get a sense of, of who Ben Moon is as a climber is to try to repeat some of his problems on the moon board because the Ben Moon benchmarks on the moon board are really hard and in a very particular way with a very particular style like just savage pulls like no trickery, no no weirdness, just big one arm pulls to, to holds that I can't hold on to
3: my name is ben moon been climbing well since i was about seven years old i'm the well the owner and founder of moon climbing and i invented the moon board i was a pro climber for about 20 years from the sort of mid 80s through to well i don't know 2000s or something 2000s or 10 and since then i've been running my company really
0: you don't consider yourself a pro climber anymore
3: well, yeah, actually, no, I think I'm, I do consider I'm a professional climber. I don't know. It depends. What's the definition of a professional climber? I'm not getting paid by anyone to go climbing apart from my own companies paying me to go climbing. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah. D- does this, does it still count as sponsored when you're sponsoring yourself?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Can you talk to us a little bit about the, the board climbing scene in the UK back in the day?
3: Yeah, I think the first time I climbed on a on a on a board was probably 1988, I would say. There was a guy called Andy Pollitt who lived in Sheffield, pretty famous climber at the time, and he built a really basic board in his garage. It can basically just consisted of like um a short up section, which was probably about four foot high, into basically the roof of the garage, which was just boarded out. So you just did a couple of moves to get into the roof, and then you just did pretty much footless across the roof. I mean, 1988, there weren't there weren't any climbing walls in Sheffield, so we just used to train on well, either basically stone walls, you know, brick brick edges, railway bridges, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was a revelation when Andy built. Built built his board. I don't know where he got the idea from, but um, yeah, I quickly followed the idea and built a very similar board in the cellar of my house. That didn't even have a, like an upstand. It really was just like a, it was basically just, I just boarded out the rafters and stuck some wooden holds on there and swung around on there for all winter.
0: And, and what kind of holds were you guys using?
3: <laughs> yeah, they were just like off cuts of wood. Door knobs were quite common, you know, little <laughs> wooden door knobs. Yeah, I mean, they're really tweaky. <laughs> um banisters you know that you you know handrails you know they'd be like pinches and then just basic pieces of you know wood you just chop them up and you know maybe file the edge of a little bit and stick them on there so it was really basic nothing fancy but yeah it worked it worked pretty well they were all really crimpy so you know it was really good for your finger strength
0: funny hearing you say doorknobs because uh I'm thinking of the, the 2016 set on the moon board, that little yellow hold that feels like a little baby doorknob. It's like a doorknob for little kids. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. You know, it's like yeah, a, in the middle understand. on the left. It's like, I, I hate that hold. I feel like I just can't fit my fingers on enough. And you're like, oh, it's like, it's like a little kid's doorknob. I've always wondered where yeah. where some of the shapes come from. And I'm like, now I know it's freaking doorknobs. like, <laughs> that's, that's so <laughs> heinous.
3: <laughs> yeah well the, the original school holds you know the first set that i did for the moon board they were kind of modeled on the sort on the boards that we had around at the time you know and they were very crimpy you know pretty pretty brutal but you know you want to get strong fingers you've got to train on small finger rolls
0: can you can you talk about the school room
3: more and more people kept building boards in their cellars. And then um, a friend of mine, an artist friend who, he was renting a room in this old Victorian school. And I just went to visit him one day. Yeah, he just mentioned that the council were renting out, you know, these old school rooms. And he showed me one of them and I was just like, oh my God, this would just make an amazing gym here. And basically contacted the council, rented the room, and then me and about 10, 10 other people got together and built what's sort of known as the schoolroom now, built three boards in there. And also I, I had seen Wolfgang Gullitz uh, campus board over in Germany. And I've basically taken all the measurements of that. And I built my f- the first campus board. It kind of sort of all the sellers sort of died to death and everyone started training <laughs> at the schoolroom, really.
0: How much time did you spend in the schoolroom over the years?
3: Oh, well, a lot. I mean, we we trained there from like 1993 through till. You know, two thousand and six.
0: You did thirteen years of consistent training in one small room.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was a bit of climbing outside. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. I did some. I did some reasonably hard sport climbs and hard boulder problems over the over the years, I guess, <laughs> and failed on a, failed on quite a few as well. But yeah. Yeah, haven't we all? Yeah, everyone just quickly sort of followed suit, and loads of loads of boards just sort of sprouted up in the cellars. I mean. Yeah, I went from climbing, I don't know, something like 8B plus probably, um, or V14 or something to doing Hubble, which was like 9A, the hardest route in the world over winter, basically, you know, it was just being able to sort of climb, train whenever you wanted to uh, on these really sort of small, crimpy holds. It was just a sort of game changer, really.
0: Where did the moon board come from?
3: This friend of mine just suggested the idea of doing like a standardised board, you know, where all the holes would have a number and a little arrow, and the board would be gridded in a standard grid system. I just thought straight away, I thought that is a great idea. I mean, it was—it's yeah, incredible to think how it's changed in the in. I mean, that was 2006, I think. You know, in the in the early it, when I first launched, it was basically just the original holds. It was like 40 holds. You know, on a on the on on the moonboard, which is really not very many holds, you couldn't get very many different problems, particularly because the holes were so small and crimpy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and everything was everything was just done on the website with PDFs, and yeah, it was very clunky.
0: How many uh, how many hold sets did you you know basically how much iteration was there?
3: Well, not very many. I mean, the first iteration was the original holds. I think we maybe did six or on a less than 10 setup with those originals and because you couldn't really get very many problems on one setup you know i kept changing the setup and then uh we basically i i we brought out the set a and set b which
0: uh, are the original holds the yellow holds
3: yeah they're the yellow holds okay yeah, and, and, the and the then Nali, set
0: a and b are the black and white. crimpy
3: ones yeah and yeah set a is the uh white ones and set Bs, the black ones.
0: If you had a board with only the yellow holds, I'm like I can barely even climb oh, yeah. the yellow holds. You're like, oh, it man. It was brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's totally brutal. You're like, this is not going to see commercial success because nobody can no. freaking use it.
3: <laughs> no, well, you wouldn't be able to warm up on it, would you? I mean, yeah. probably the easiest problem. I still have all the, I still actually have the the Excel spreadsheets with the original setups of the, of the original, you know, those early setups. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what the easiest grade was probably. Yeah, 6 C plus 7A or something.
0: Yeah, that's like V6, V7. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think you can like find that. those yellows easier than V6. It's like they're um, really hard odds.
3: It was so niche. It was so underground. You know, sales were really sort of quite small. Yeah, we obviously, we, we brought out the set A and set B whenever it was, maybe five five or six years after the initial launch. And from that, we produced the 2016 setup and I think the 2016 setup, I mean, that's that's when we launched the app. So we went from like a web-based system to an app-based system. Um, and that was probably the game changer, really. Uh, it made the whole thing. There was more holds, more problems. It was easier to use, you know, and it just grew sort of exponentially from there, really. And I remember, yeah, when we when we launched the app, took me and my developer t- thinking, oh yeah, I wonder, you know, how quickly, how you know, how many problems are we going to get? You know, maybe we'll get like a, a hundred problems added or something. And within like oh, it was within like a couple of weeks, we had like there was a, like a thousand problems had been added to the 2016 setup. It was just like it was mind blowing. There was a bit of there was a bit of a kickback initially. Uh, I think there was all the sort of hardcore you know, Moonboard users who had maybe been in there from the beginning and stuff because we basically scrapped all the old setups because we just wanted to get everyone onto this new 2016 setup. We just thought, you know, it's going to be much better if we get everyone climbing on the same thing. And there was definitely some kickback, but within a few weeks, it was just obvious that everyone was just switching to the new setup and hundreds of problems being added every week, you know, from people all around the world.
0: And did you... Did you expect any of that? I mean, did you foresee any of the 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 growth?
3: It wasn't until I installed the LEDs onto the board that I really understood um, like what this was going to do. And I was like, oh my God, that is just amazing. And even that, that mm-hmm. first LED system, you basically had a keypad on the side of the board and you punched in a number and it lights up the problem. But very quickly, Dale, our programmer, built the sort of functionality so you could just control the LED system with the app. Uh, I mean, technology's Yeah, technology's made a massive, played a massive part, hasn't it, in 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 the development of the moonboard, really?
0: Yeah, that, that's an interesting contrast because on the one hand, the moonboard is one of the simplest climbing training tools. It's basically just really small holds on an overhanging wall. Yeah. But then you're right that it just wouldn't have taken off without the the incredibly complex technology, <laughs> you know, no. the Bluetooth connections, the the internet, the you know, the, just the app development. Like yeah. it's all like a, a lot's required to make the moonboard popular the way it is
3: yeah definitely it, it would have just stayed underground and niche if it hadn't if it if it wasn't for the technology
0: can you give us a sense of how many moonboards there are out there like how many people are using the moonboard how how far flung is it
3: we well we reckon there's about a hundred thousand active moonboard users in terms of how many actual moon boards there are out there we don't have exact figures but I would imagine Something like about five thousand moonboards, I guess, worldwide. And,
0: and can you guess at the the geographic spread?
3: I mean, predominantly, yeah, they're sort of North America and Europe, Japan, Australia. Those are the sort of the hotspots.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's something like five or six just in the various garages around town here. Let alone in the yeah. actual gyms. You know, I mean, yeah. just just in Las Vegas, you have uh, you know a bunch of different garages with with moonboards
3: yeah i mean they're all over the place you know there's some in the falkland islands
2: <laughs> the coolest like connection one of the coolest connections i've made is um, there's a board in like the falcon islands <laughs> it's <laughs> like i think yeah i think the username she's like shortest penguin or something but yeah she's like posting board climbs from the falcon islands and i had to like double take and be like wait really <laughs> like they got a board down there and they all set it up that holds are there i'm like
0: this is so cool <laughs> that is awesome i mean that yeah. is that is the beauty of the moon board um
4: i'm lisa watson and uh, i live with my partner johnny summers in the falkland islands so i'm shortest penguin
0: we'll be back with more after the break Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix formulated with a science-backed ratio of sodium to potassium to magnesium. Each packet delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes free of sugar, artificial colors, or other dodgy ingredients. It tastes great and I've used it extensively on expeditions. Element is formulated for anyone looking to restore health through hydration and is perfectly suited for athletes, folks who are fasting, or those following keto, low-carb, whole food, or paleo diets. Try Element totally risk-free if you don't like it, they'll refund your order, no questions asked. So whether you're new or returning Element customer, you can get a free Element sample pack with any drink mix order when you go to drinkelement.com slash climbinggold. That's drinklmnt.com slash climbinggold. Dr. Squatch crafts natural, high-performance personal care products with no harmful ingredients. I don't shower often, but when I do, I use Dr. Squatch. I especially like the Wood Barrel Bourbon Bar Soap from soap to shampoo to conditioner, that help me look, feel, and smell my best for whatever adventure I choose. They're offering new customers 20% off any purchase with the code Gold, Or you can go to drsquatch.com slash honnold. Dr. Squatch. Get dirty, stay clean.
4: I'm Lisa Watson, and uh, I live with my partner Johnny Summers in the Falkland Islands. It's got three thousand six hundred and sixty-two people, so we're we're a bit of a rare breed, Falkland Islanders. I think it's it's not to everybody's taste, um, but it, it's it's somewhere that grows on you almost. I mean, if you could handle the wild winds and the the sometimes hostile climate, the climbing is certainly adventurous, but you know it, it does have its own charm it's got this amazing quartzite rock and these these really quite attractive slab climbing um but it it's can be a little bit tricky sometimes because the the rock is quite a lot of the rock is covered in this uh, this lichen and uh so you really have to be quite careful when you're climbing it can be quite skittery
1: um the falkland islands aren't necessarily like an obvious place to start as a climber how did how did you get into it
4: so I actually uh, started out as a climber because of my partner Johnny, who's a he's a pretty strong climber actually. He uh, he came to me one day and he said, "Lisa, your garage is a right mess, and uh, would you mind very much if I cleared it out and and build a little bit of a climbing wall in there?" And I was like, "Yeah, do do please please tidy up my garage. That would be amazing." I was actually going on a on a trip to Chile because uh, um, to see my orthodontist in Chile. And um, because we're very isolated here. And uh, and when I came back there, there was this uh, pretty heinous looking overhanging ball in my garage in a very tidy garage. And uh, he was uh, doing these strange movements on this wall. And I was like, oh, that, that looks amazing. I really want to learn to climb.
1: How hard would it be to learn how to climb on a moon board? Like if that was your gateway into climbing.
0: If all you had for rock climbing was a moon board... You would be bummed. I mean, it's hard to imagine learning how to climb on a moonboard. Like, you'd have to already be prodigiously strong from some other avenue, like, you know, an ex gymnast or something. Cause I don't think the average layperson could even, maybe if they had an adjustable moonboard so they could make it vertical, then maybe you could learn how to climb on it. But with a 40 degree overhanging moonboard with a 2016 set, I don't think the average person off the street could even hold, like, they couldn't even interface with the board, they couldn't hold any of the holds
4: being the really kind, lovely guy he is. Right next to it, he built a 30-degree wall, put some jugs on it and said, right, you can learn to climb on that one. Now, it's actually quite tricky learning to climb on a 30-degree wall as well. But I learned to climb on this 30-degree wall with the jugs on and it wasn't too long before I was having my first climb on the uh, on the moon board as well. And uh, oh my God, you know, this, is, this has just changed my life anyway.
1: During COVID, you said... Uh, That your garage uh, became the de facto climbing gym for all of the Falkland Islands. Uh, Tell me about that. How'd that happen?
4: During COVID, the one other climbing wall on the RAF base was basically closed down. And there were some quite strong climbers on the base, uh, Dino, Rich, Lee and Anne-Marie. And um, of course, Dino, before he came to the Falklands, contacted us something like, this is how keen he was, like six months before he came to the Falklands, we got this message saying, hey, I hear that you've got some training walls in your garage. And I hear that the uh, RAF base, you know, their wall isn't being used. Can I can I come down and see you guys? we were like, yeah, Sure. So when he arrived, he uh, got some other people together and he was like, look, these locals have got this wall, apparently. Um, Do you want to come down with me? And he he was very careful who he brought down. He said, I'm only look, guys, I'm only bringing people who have actually brought their climbing shoes all the way to the Falklands, not bringing any old people, only proper climbers. So he came down and they're very dedicated because to drive down to Stanley, the road to Stanley, where we live, isn't even paved properly or it certainly wasn't then. And yet they're driving down in sort of 50, 60 knot wind sometimes in these Land Rovers. And it can be quite dangerous, this road. And they would come down two, three times a week, miles and miles, rain, wind, snow, whatever. And they would turn up and train in our little garage with us. And afterwards, they went back to the U.K., and we got a message from them and they said they were winning REF competitions purely as a result of having trained on our moonboard. And they were just so pleased about us. It's really wonderful that they, you know, they got the benefit of this little moonboard in the Falklands and, were, you know, did so well in these competitions.
1: So obviously there's two sides to the sport. There's the adventure side, there's the athletic side. And the moon board is firmly on the, the athletic side, the sort of sports side of it. Putting up first a sense of on loose sea cliffs above the ocean is firmly adventurous. And I'm curious, like, so was the moon board, you know, your gateway into those adventures?
4: It absolutely was for me. Yeah. And I think the great thing about the moon board was it was, it gave me a lot of confidence because it made me so strong. Um, I'm really tiny. I'm only five foot. I'm really quite burly. And that's because of the moon board. Um, It's also because I'm a farmer's daughter too. I can pick up a sheep, you know, (laughs) I can pick up a pretty big sheep and probably hold it over my head. So when I go outside in 30, 40 knot winds and I'm climbing up a slab or vertical or, you know, I have lots of confidence in my abilities and in my strengths. And, you know, even if I'm climbing up into something unknown, if I get a little bit worried or a little bit scared, I think, you know, hey, hell, I can hang off a 40 degree overhang with the tips of my fingers. Why should I be worried about this? Come on, Lisa, you know, you you have confidence in yourself and I do. And it's because of that moon board.
0: Our first season of climbing gold, Basically, explored this this contrast of climbing as as adventure versus sport, sort of adventure versus versus athleticism. Let's say because we were looking at um, climbing going into the Olympics and, and sort of the the lead up to like what got climbing into the Olympics. And it seems like when you look at the history of climbing, you kind of see it going from this extension of of mountaineering to now a full on athletic sport. And I think that that the moonboard and, and certainly the benchmark problems on the moonboard. Can really be seen as as part of this shift towards athleticism, you know. I mean, they're incredibly unadventurous, but they're very, very difficult. And so, you know, how, I, yeah. What do you think about all that?
3: Well, I, I don't know if I agree with that, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm re—I've been reading a lot of old climbing literature, you know, like stuff, you know, books that were written sort of 1890s, early 20th century, and stuff. Okay, the hard, you know, the hardest routes back then were they weren't technically difficult compared to now, but at the time they were really hard and people used to say, you know, they were like, it was all, it was just, you know, athletic, it was just gymnastics and stuff. Even back then, it's always been there and people have always considered rock climbing as like an athletic thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like that tension between athleticism and adventure has always been at the core of climbing. There's yeah. always some kind of contrast between the two.
4: Yeah, But
0: it probably is fair to say that board climbing is about as far as you can go athletically in climbing and, yeah. and very unadventurous.
3: Campus board, campusing maybe is a little bit, just one step oh, further, yeah, there, yeah. isn't
0: it? But, so. That's true. What uh, what has surprised you the most about the, the development of the board or the whole trajectory of moon climbing, really?
3: I think it's just, it's basically just the growth the growth of climbing really i don't know if it surprised me but it's just how much change there's been over the last sort of 20 30 years is is pretty incredible really you know if you look in terms of the equipment and the facilities um participation technology i mean everything it's you know when i look at um you know old photos climbing photos from the 1980s you know it just seems like another era really
0: So where do you see the moon board going? Like, where do you think the the board climbing is going?
3: I think the future for the board is going to be something similar to what Garmin's done for sort of runners and cyclists and stuff. I think, you know, being, being able to analyze, you know, what you're doing on a, on a moon board, you know, the moves that you're doing, basically tracking your, you know, your movement on a moon board and then being able to sort of Tailor sort of tra- training programs based on you know your your level and everything. I think that's probably where it's going to go.
0: Yeah, actually, do you see the Moonboard eventually becoming a tool like uh, like a treadmill or like a Peloton or whatever, like a like an indoor exercise cycle? It's like I
3: think it is a little bit like that. I do. Yeah, I think it already is a little bit like that. You know, it is a training tool and it does go into gyms. And uh, I mean, it is already.
0: That's interesting. I've just never thought of the Moonboard as my version of a treadmill. But I'm sort of like, you know, I guess, I guess it kind of is. It's just bigger. It takes up more space, and it's so much harder.
3: I was on the treadmill just before I went out to Margalev last um, last year in February. I was just on the moonboard. It's like just like just just doing loads of volume on the mm. moonboard to try and get some sort of endurance for, for climbing at Margalev and everything. It- Worked really well.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think particularly for Margalef, that makes sense because it's just so fierce and fingery and bouldery like that. Yeah, it's like perfect. Yeah, you could do uh, like ten by tens on the moonboard, <laughs> like V four, and that would get you yeah. up some of the hardest routes there, probably.
3: Yeah, I think I tried to do one session. I tried to do all on the 2016. I tried to do all of the 6C and 6C plus benchmarks on the minute, basically. I think I did about, I think I did about fifty problem, fifty problems or something. It was wow. like. It was like 150, 150 meters of climbing, you know, on like a 40 degree board. It was, yeah, it was really good.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Can you just talk a little bit about how that boarding community has sprung up and and what that means? Because in some ways, I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive that there would be a community around boarding because most people are boarding by themselves in their garage. You know, like yeah, it's not yeah. like an obvious, uh, it's not an obvious way to make friends. Yeah. But
3: well i mean that is one of the, that is one of the big aspects to the moonboard you know and to the the whole concept of the moonboard and you know having a standardized board because you know it's basically connecting ev- everyone who's got that moonboard
2: right at the beginning of the year i was kind of you know okay what do i want to do this year what can i what vacation can i take from work and but i was talking to hosiac and i was like i would love to go to South Korea and (laughs) hang out with all those guys like Hoseok and like Heki Lee and Dong Yoo Lee and like Koala, he goes by, like, I want to just like go and hang out and eat food and just (laughs) bored for like a week. That'd be sweet. (laughs) So that would be ideal. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've had like strong sessions with, you know, uh, like lots of people, but, um, yeah, I mean the big ones, like I never climbed with Kyle Knapp that, that'd be fun. You know, I've never climbed with Daniel. That'd be fun. Um, or, or Hoseok or any of those guys, but yeah, it, it would be cool. I would be, I'd be in for like
0: a board trip. Dude, I, I bet as you would be, a, as that might sound. I bet you would be a legend in South Korea. You know, it'd be like, it'd be <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, like Taylor Swift coming or something. If you show up at the gym in South Korea on the board, it'd, it'd be freaking amazing. <laughs> It'd be like it'd be like the, the Beatles would, doing a world tour. You should, you should definitely do a board I tour. I would love it. Yeah, he, he was. I mean, he seemed. He seemed down. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, if it, if it could work in, I would love to go. Dude, honestly, that actually does sound like a fun vacation. Like eating good food and just training on the board with with interesting people for a while. Like, oh yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. If you're into it, that would be a pretty fun trip. Earlier, you talked about the the moonboarding community as being sort of the the best part of boarding to you. Have you seen that community grow like how do you feel like the the board world is changing with time i mean in in a way it's quite young it's quite fresh you know i mean it's only five years where do you think that the board world is going and and how do you see it growing it's really exciting to see um i I
2: remember when i was when i was kind of like maybe testing out like hey i think i want to make a page that just has all of the benchmarks or as many as i can do for like for beta or you know to to share with people um i kind of got a little bit like like really or like okay you know um but one of the reasons is i was trying to do this va on the on the 2016 set called bazoo it has this really wild like cross over your body it's like it's all black holes and it has this really wild like cross throw over your body and i was like okay like i can see it but like I kind of want to see it. And at the time, there really weren't any like pages where people were documenting all their board climbs. And I remember digging way deep into uh, Dong Yu Lee's page. He'd been doing some climb, some board climbing. This is like, yeah, like 2017, early 2018. And um, I found a video of it like buried. Like I had to swipe a bunch of like tiles to like find it. And I was like digging in and trying to look for it. And I was like, that'd be cool if this was more like accessible or you could get motivated and see it so that was that was why i decided to do a page like that and now it's really cool i see a lot of pages like that where people are documenting like this is my journey to boarding and i want to be able to look back on it and i think that's really cool i think it's nice to have kind of this living training journal you know the same as you would write down what you did for the session yeah as far as as far as growing you know my main focus right now is to Just get more people exposed to board climbing, more people on the board, more people setting once they're have that buy in to regularly board climbing or they're integrating it into their training routine for whatever they want to do. If it's hard bouldering, hard sport climbing or just general fitness because, you know, they don't have a ton of time throughout the week. It's been really nice to see and to be part of it. what keeps me motivated what keeps me going is that personal connection with people in the community that are active setting you know motivated if i get a message from someone who's like hey i just set my very first board problem would you want to try it or something i'm like oh that makes my day i'm excited you know heck yeah i want to try it like let's go because it's showing me that they're getting some buy-in into the process into the board maybe they're like going to college or living somewhere that's like not near climbing, but they have the board and they can connect. They don't really have anyone else that is gonna try their problem or something like that. Like That's what keeps me motivated in my own climbing and to keep giving to the community.
1: Thanks Ravioli, Ben and Lisa for chatting with us today. Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer. Alex Honnold is our host. Today's episode was produced and edited by Lauren Delaney Miller and me, Fitz with additional mixing by Evan Phillips. Music today by Brendan O'Connell, Evan Phillips, Faring, Jupiter, and Boss Fight. Tracks are courtesy of The artists or Track Club. Lauren Delaney Miller is our producer. Our executive producers are Jonathan Retzik and Ben Endy for RxR Sports, and Lisey Hendricks and Becca Call for Duct Tape and Beer. Thanks for listening.